welcome to the latest episode in our Herbert Smith Freehills public M&A series. My name is Antonia Kirkby and I'm joined today by Mark Bardell. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the proposals in the consultation paper that the Takeover panel published at the end of October, which is focusing largely on conditions to offers and the offer timetable. The changes are being proposed in part in recognition of the various regulatory and merge control regimes that bidders have to navigate now on an offer with the ever-growing number and complexity of merge control regimes around the world, making it harder for bidders to get the necessary clearance within the code timetable for a contractual offer in particular. And so, for example, under the proposed changes, the parties to an offer will have greater ability to ask for a timetable freeze. The changes were also prompted by the panel's consultation on changes to the code required as a result of Brexit. Respondents to that consultation questioned why um, conditions relating to clearance under the EU merger regulation should be treated differently to merge control conditions elsewhere in the world. A bidder doesn't have to satisfy materiality threshold in, able, in order to be able to invoke a condition relating to European Commission clearance or clearance by the CMA, whereas it does if it uh, relates to clearance elsewhere in the world. So, Mark, there's quite a lot to unpick in this consultation paper, but should we start by taking a step back and looking at what it's about? Yes, so I completely agree, Antonia. After wading through whatever it is, nearly 160 pages of a lot of detail, I would say that the consultation is really about just two things. The first is the current special status for competition or antitrust, however you want to call it, reviews in the UK and EU, because those two regulatory clearances have a special status under the code at the moment. And this consultation answers the question that they shouldn't have and, and all regulatory clearances should be treated on the same basis. So that's one thing. And the second thing is uh, a series of changes to the strict timetable uh, for contractual offers under the code. The two things interact with each other uh, because the timing relevant for a large takeover of a UK target, which involves UK competition or EU competition, um, will impact how the timetable runs, of course. But if you step back from all the detail, and there's an awful lot of it, there are just two things to turn your mind to. Uh, one is special status for UK or EU merger clearance, and two, some detail in the timetable itself for a contractual offer under the UK code. And so should we start getting into some of that detail? Um, starting off with the merge control conditions, what, what are the detailed uh, changes that the panel's proposing? Sure. So if we turn then to this question of the special status currently under the code for UK um, competition clearance and for EU um, merger clearance under the merger reg, uh, th this consultation paper proposes the removal of that special status. So what does that then mean? Well, that then means that there is no automatic lapsing of an offer. Um, when there is a phase two reference um, under the EU or a phase two reference for the UK. Um, it also means that invoking such a condition will be subject to the panel's view as to whether that condition is material or not. Um, and just as a reminder, uh, people will be aware that, 
that to invoke a condition uh, to a takeover offer requires the consent of the panel and the panel has a famously high bar um, when applying a standard of materiality. Now, it used to be the case that EU uh, merger reg and UK Competition and Markets Authority approval fell outside of that test, i.e. there was an absolute right to invoke that condition, um, but that would be done away with under these proposals. And for what it's worth, from a personal perspective, I think that is logical and sensible. And we'll have some comments to make on the detail of the exact way they go about it. But in principle, that makes sense and I think is a is a welcome change triggered by Brexit because it makes everybody think, why should the EU merger reg have this special status under the UK regime? Um, but really not a direct consequence of Brexit and it's unpicking a historical anomaly uh, and the consultation paper makes that clear. Thanks, Mark. And you mentioned that the panel's got guidance um, about when bidders can and cannot invoke uh, conditions to an offer. And they're proposing to expand that guidance, aren't they, in this consultation paper? So, again, you're absolutely right. So once they have started pulling at this loose thread in the takeover code, as I would describe it, the special status for UK and EU merger, um, and bringing those regimes within the normal uh, regime for invoking a condition. Once they start tugging at that thread, they need to talk through an awful lot of detail to explain where they end up. Um, and that is why um, uh, there are a lot of pages rightly given to discussing this topic. And that is why this consultation paper heralds a change to rewriting practice statement number five, which talks about um, when a bidder can invoke a condition. So just getting into that in a little bit more detail, how's that gonna apply with a regulatory condition? Well, basically the panel's introducing a new concept of a material regulatory approval or authorization, and that is, a, a concept which is the kind of a condition, and I'll speak deliberately loosely just to explain it, the kind of condition that could possibly result in the panel allowing a bidder to invoke that condition, but something that is not of such significance that the panel is deciding the bidder could definitely invoke it. So it's this important condition concept, uh, which is less than the standard required to be material enough to invoke it. So again, on a personal note, that seems a sensible way of going about it. It's, it's a, a high standard for a condition, but it's not as high as invoking a condition. So for bidders who are planning to proceed with a deal which will involve regulatory approvals, bidders will do what they've always done take legal advice are there competition and antitrust approvals around the globe yes there are well then they'll seek to include conditions um, and are there other regulatory approvals well, depending on the industry uh, most industries nowadays require global regulatory approvals uh, and those would also be added as conditions can the bidder invoke those conditions well um, that's subject to the panel's usual test. 
uh, can the bidder get an extension to the timetable for a contractual offer? Well, now the bidder will need to think whether those conditions fall into this category of uh, materiality uh, and then they could get a timetable extension if they were proceeding by way of a contractual takeover offer. And can they, what about, what are the panel saying about phase two references and, and the fact that, because currently an offer will lapse automatically on a phase two reference, what will happen under these proposals? So under these proposals, the logic of saying UK and EU should no longer have a special status means that there's no automatic lapse on phase two, that instead uh, the bidder that wanted to lapse on a phase two reference would need to speak to the panel and get the panel's consent. So, so far so good, all logical, all very coherent. Um, the result of following that very logical approach i think does have a practical impact and the practical impact is in the current regime a bidder that does not want to go into a phase two reference period in the uk or in the eu would have the ability to automatically lapse and that is now removed so now a bidder that doesn't want to go through with a phase two review period, either in the UK or Europe, has to go and get the panel's consent before invoking the condition. And here the panel in the consultation paper says very clearly that the criteria it will apply when judging whether such a bidder can walk away on a phase two reference um, will include looking at whether the reference would be would be likely to result in a serious risk of material damage to the business of the bidder or the target and the utility of requiring the bidder and or the target to pursue the reference process where the prospect of the clearance sort is is low and those are sensible tests but in my view they are missing one which is the expense to the bidder of proceeding with a phase two reference, and that's the advisor's costs and the costs of dealing with the regulator and going through what could well be a six month process. In addition, you've got the financing costs potentially um, because you'll need to be cash confirmed and have certain funds. And then you've got to run through this process that again could take six months. If you add those two things up, that's a lot of money. And in my opinion, a bidder should be able to make a bid but signal to the market if it takes much longer than it thought uh, that bidder should be able to walk away and taking much longer than it thought includes being tripped into a phase two reference Ir irrespective of whether you've got a good prospect of getting the phase two clearance the mere fact of being put to the sword for another six months ought to be enough in my opinion for a bidder to walk away but that is not what the current proposals say. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's missing from from the proposals is the fact that uh, clearing, sorry, pursuing, completing a deal where you haven't got clearance in a particular jurisdiction could amount to a criminal offence. Um, and I think it would be helpful if we had some recognition from the panel that actually you can't, it can't expect bidders to complete a bid if if it might result in them 
committing a criminal offence somewhere in the world, albeit recognising that, you know, I, we understand obviously that the panel doesn't want people to be able to use a sort of a minor technical clearance as a Mac and a walk away from a deal on the basis of sort of um, a fairly insignificant element. But I do think it's important to recognise that it could amount to a criminal offence and, and directors will certainly won't want to put themselves at risk of, of that. I agree with you. I, I think you make a good point. Um, I think the panel would say, and in my personal opinion, they'd be right to say that that problem exists today, irrespective of this consultation, and that on context is everything. Uh, on the one end of the spectrum, you've got a regulatory clearance that has criminal consequences in a particular jurisdiction, and in the context of a particular deal, you know, that might be a small part of the business. So I'm going to take a random example, um, Austrian competition clearance. Uh, and a, a particular bidder needs to get Austrian competition clearance and failure to obtain it and to close the deal might result in a criminal offence being committed. And the panel might say, well, the Austrian part of these combined businesses is tiny and that ought, the tail ought not to wag the dog. Um, bidder sort that out, sell the business, um, you know, close down that business, sort it all out, but plan all of that before you proceed with your bid and don't allow the tail to wag the dog. And I think in saying all of that, the panel would have a point, um, but I'd agree with you. There's an opportunity in this consultation paper uh, to be a little bit more nuanced and acknowledge that um, local criminal offences are a very serious thing for bidder boards to be engaged with and uh, regulators around the globe ought not to encourage, allow um, or, or force people to take on criminal consequences and should be a little bit uh, mindful or, or more nuanced in the approach in that respect. Thanks, Mark. Um, so, shall we move on now to some of the other proposals that the panel's looking at? Um, and perhaps we'll move on next to the timing for offers to go unconditional. What the, What is the panel proposing there? Sure. So, I, I said right at the start, I um, categorised all the changes in the consultation papers as either being removing the special status of uh, UK and EU competition, or separately about timetabling and consequences for a, uh, a contractual takeover offer. So just to then summarise those key changes in the, the second of those categories, the timetable, the first I draw out is removing uh, the difference between unconditional as to acceptances and going wholly unconditional. So under the current rules, the key condition on a contractual takeover offer is the acceptance condition, i.e. the number of shares tendered into the offer. And uh, it, as people will be aware, it's customary to start off with a 90% acceptance condition. And if you get to 90%, that enables you to, um, broadly speaking, make use of the squeeze out provisions that exist under the Companies Act in order to acquire the minorities and get to 100%. So you start at 90% and you have the ability to wave down and the code says you can't wave down below 50% plus one share. 
So when you get the shareholders to tender their shares in, uh, that's the key thing, the equivalent of a vote on a scheme of arrangement. Um, and when you satisfy that acceptance condition, uh, that is referred to as going unconditional as to acceptances. That must be done at the latest by the 60th day after you post your offer document, which people refer to as day 60. And then the code allows for a further 21 days to satisfy any remaining conditions. And that's referred to as day 81. And when you get to all your other conditions being satisfied, the offer uh, would be referred to as wholly unconditional. So the, the changes under this consultation remove all that complexity. And there's just a single date, the date on which the offer becomes unconditional or is declared unconditional. Um, and that means satisfaction of all conditions. And the proposal is that that is the 60th day and there's no extra 21 days to satisfy other conditions. Instead, there's the ability to extend the timetable somewhere in the middle so that what would have been the 60th day to satisfy acceptances and all other conditions becomes a later point in time, but is still conceptually uh, a day 60 and there's no extra 21 days at the back end for conditions. Um, this, by the way, makes it, the regime more consistent with other uh, tender offer regimes around the globe. Think, for example, about uh, American tender offer rules. And I would say it's a bit more logical. Um, why wouldn't you have just one day that you need to satisfy all the conditions rather than uh, distinguishing between uh, the other conditions and the acceptance condition? There's a consequence of all of that logically, which is how do you deal with withdrawal rights? And rather than withdrawal rights existing from commonly the 42nd day of the offer period, the panel are now saying that withdrawal rights should exist throughout and all the way up to the 60th day or such day as day 60 is extended to. And again, that makes a lot of logical sense and, and why shouldn't shareholders have those withdrawal rights they do in lots of other jurisdictions so again to express a personal view that all seems very sensible um, there's an incidental uh, point that arises in all of that which is if there if a bidder started off on a contractual tender offer and there's a regulatory problem and everybody needs a bit more time then it's possible under the current regime that that extra time could be sought after day 60 and that therefore you're extending what is currently day 81 to allow for that extra regulatory period and the downside to doing it in that way is that the shareholders have tendered in the acceptance condition has been satisfied so they are locked in and unable to sell their shares whilst the extra regulatory time is needed under the new proposals uh, the extension would come uh, before the, the unconditional date uh, and shareholders would have withdrawal rights. So what that means is if a bidder needs extra time, the bidder can obtain it uh, by getting an extension to the timetable under these proposals. Uh, but sh target shareholders are free to uh, sell their shares uh, during that extended offer uh, period which by the way is what they can do under a scheme of arrangement. So 
one way of looking at all those changes is it puts contractual takeover offers in the UK on a footing which is more comparable to a scheme of arrangements. And bear in mind, most deals in the UK are implemented by way of scheme of arrangements. So this could be seen as just leveling things up a bit to make a takeover offer more appealing um, and more user friendly when compared to schemes of arrangement. So that's that's welcome in itself. Thanks, Mark. Um, so what other changes are, is the panel proposing as part of this consultation paper? So as other changes, um, that there's one around acceleration statements. So under the current regime, it's possible for a bidder to make a public statement that it won't extend a closing date. So here under the new rules, extension statements are gone. And instead, there's an acceleration statement. So a bidder can bring forward the unconditional date. So instead of being the 60th day after posting the offer document, a bidder who wants to close the deal but wants to do it quicker can issue an acceleration statement and bring forward the date to satisfy all conditions. And that's called an acceleration statement. There's also uh, the idea of getting rid of closing dates. So currently, um, in the UK, the, the contractual takeover offer has to be open for a minimum of 21 days, a maximum of 60 days. And the way you get there is after 21 day, you extend and extend and extend, and then eventually you get to day 60. Um, in practice, most bidders always extend, and in practice, most shareholders think that the takeover offer period is gonna run for 60 days, and therefore they're in no rush to do anything. But what that comes with is the risk that on a closing date, so say for example, you, your original offer was 21 days, you then extend for 14, so at day 35, all the shareholders are sitting there thinking that there's just gonna be an extension. And it turns out the bidder changes its mind um, and doesn't extend. What that creates is a backdoor for a bidder to wriggle out of a contractual takeover offer because in that circumstance, you don't have to speak to the panel and have your acceptance condition tested for materiality. Um, it's just a walk right that sort of exists in a technical way that the market perhaps doesn't you know, fully recognise. So I think it's a welcome change to get rid of the idea of closing dates um, and and to move things in this direction of, of having a default of 60 days, but anybody who wants to go quicker can do so uh, by issuing an acceleration statement. There's also a separate idea, which is the, the idea of uh, giving notice that a bidder intends to invoke an acceptance condition. So this is the panel trying to get to the same place that you could do um, under the current regime. Uh, and what this is, is whereas an acceleration statement is a bidder who wants to close the deal, but is signaling it wants to do so quicker, um, a bidder who wants to walk away from the deal and do so on the basis of the acceptance condition can still do that by issuing one of these notices relating to invoking the acceptance condition. And there the bidder has to give target shareholders 14 days notice 
and that allows the target board and, and its advisors to whip up shareholder support to avoid uh, the bidder wriggling out on, on a technicality as it were um, and, and therefore that seems to be a sensible and logical change uh, as well. And you talked about the proposals uh, sort of partly being intended to bring contractual offers in line with schemes. They're also proposing to introduce a long stop date for offers now, aren't they? Yeah, so that, again, I think is an important um, point. It's, it's quite a technical one, but just to explain that, um, under a scheme of arrangement, because the timetable is under the control of the offeree board, um, then the panel's long-standing practice and reflected in the relevant appendix to the code is that a bidder can have a long stop date. In other words, the target board just can't keep the bidder there forever and ever. Uh, there is a date at which uh, the bidder can walk away and that date is set out as a condition. It's referred to as the long stop date and that is not subject to the panel's jurisdiction uh, determining materiality. In other words, it's an absolute walk, right, if, if things just take much longer than the bidder um, thought in the context of a recommended scheme of arrangement. Now, in a world, the current world, where a contractual tender offer has a fixed timetable under the code, there's no need for a long stop date um, in, in that context. Um, and what this new regime with the possibility of extensions to uh, the, the fixed rigid timetable means is that actually the bid could go on and on forever and therefore the panel has allowed the idea of a long stop date to come into the contractual offer um, as well as on the scheme and I think that is also a very welcome change. There's a point of detail there, which is the way the long stop dates work under a scheme and an offer are different under these current proposals. So under the scheme, it's an absolute walk right where the panel don't look at materiality. Um, whereas under the offer, under these proposals, the long stop date is really just a date on which the panel will test the other conditions to the offer. And if there is one that could be invoked, broadly speaking, uh, then the panel, then the bidder would be able to walk away on the long stop date under a contractual offer. So there's an awful lot of detail in that. Uh, but personally, I think it would be preferable if the long stop date regime under the contractual offer route was the same as under the scheme of arrangement route, i.e. it's a date that the market's aware of. Um, it ought to be a hard date and a walk right for the bidder um, and that will enable the bidder to have certainty on the financing and the market will have certainty as to what that date means um, as opposed to it's just a date on which you test the other conditions. Thanks Mark. So we've, we've touched on before there's an awful lot of very technical detail in there but perhaps if we take a step back and, and leaving lawyers aside who will, I'm sure, get very stuck into the detail, what difference do you think the changes will have in practice on a bid? Uh, look, that's a great question and in many ways the most important one. Um, and 
putting aside my nerdiness and desire to get into the detail of these changes and be supportive or critical depending on personal views many of which i've shared in our conversation now put all that aside what does it really matter well currently most bids in the uk are done on a recommended basis and on the basis of a scheme and one of the advantages of a scheme is the flexibility in the timetable that allows you to get a shareholder approval up front and then deal with your regulatory clearances thereafter and, and close as soon as you get those regulatory clearances. That's the most popular way of doing deals in the UK. Uh, to my mind, that will continue to be the case after uh, the, the current consultation is closed and the new rules come into effect. So in a sense, for the majority of bids and the majority of the way in which that majority are implemented, I don't think uh, this will mean much of a change. There's another category uh, of bid, which is would bidders want to use contractual offers more because of the flexibility offered um, on the timetable under these new proposals? And the answer to that is maybe, um, you know, maybe that's enough to make more people start using contractual offers again. Um, personally, I, I don't think it will be. I, I think there are some other advantages of schemes, uh, most fundamentally the idea that it's a binary outcome, i.e. if you pass the shareholder vote, you get 100% of the company. If you don't, you get nothing, whereas the offer only gets you part of the way there, then you've got to get to a delisting threshold, then you've got to run a squeeze-out process. So for those reasons, which are all to do with the legal basis rather than the code basis, I think the scheme will still be the most popular route. And I don't think there will be lots more offers as a result of this consultation. The third category to think about is hostile offers. There are not all that many of those. You wouldn't pursue a hostile uh, deal by way of scheme of arrangement, although in a technical sense, maybe you could. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, if you're doing a hostile deal, you're going to do it by way of uh, takeover offer. Um, will these changes mean any real difference in the number of hostile offers? In other words, are they so favourable that now it means bidders who attempted to go hostile will go hostile? I think more firmly no on that. Um, these changes, yes, uh, are logical and consistent, but they're not favourable to hostile bidders. So um, they are things that a hostile bidder will need to take into account if it's decided for commercial reasons to do a hostile deal. But I don't think it really tips the balance one way or the other on, on hostile bids either. So at the end of the day, um, some some good, logical, thoughtful changes being proposed, uh, but I don't think they will have a big impact on the practice of bids. Thanks, Mark. That's really helpful, particularly to have that kind of practical impact insight. Um, so I think that's probably enough detail for today. Uh, just to sort of wrap up, in terms of timing, the consultation closes on the 15th of January next year, and the panel has said it's going to, or it expects to publish a response statement in spring 2021, and then the changes will take effect three months after that. Um, I don't personally expect there to be many significant changes to their proposals, maybe some around the detail, but because in particular there was a pre-consultation on this, the proposals, I suspect they'll be coming largely in the same form. 
Um, if you want to find a copy of the consultation paper, it's PCP 2020-1 and it's available on the panel website. And we've uh, actually published a more detailed e-bulletin on it, which is available on our corporate notes blog and our takeovers portal. Um, thank you, Mark, for joining me today. And thank you to you two, to our listeners. We'd really welcome any feedback or thoughts you have on our podcast and, and areas you want to see us discuss in future episodes. So, of course, we will do one on the final real changes under this consultation paper when they're published. But thanks very much for joining me today and goodbye. <laughs>